Good morning. Well, hopefully my... There it is. Perfect. Oh, let me... Uh, can I steal one of these? That, that was... Oh, it's okay. Let's see. This one. Try not to change your book around. Instead of singing soon and very soon, we're going to be singing Only Trust Him. Here we go. So good to be back with all of you as I get set up here. Some of you may recognize me. Some of you won't. Um, as he mentioned, I'm Joel. This is my wife, Rachel. The little red rat you saw running around that you don't recognize. Those ones are ours. Uh, I apologize ahead of time for the chaos that will ensue, but uh, <laughs> missionary kids, what can I say? They're the, the worst. I mean the best. Uh, <laughs> no, um, it's really good to be back with you guys. We only get to be here once every three years because we do serve as missionaries in Kenya. Um, <clears throat> East 10th Street has been partnering in some way, shape, or form with our ministry in Kenya long predating us. Actually, I, I'm pretty sure it is longer than I have been alive. Um, which is a really cool legacy to lead. They've been partnering with CMF missionaries in Kenya since the 70s. I want to say um, since like 1974 or something like that. Maybe even earlier. So, <laughs> probably earlier. Okay, I'm wrong. It's probably earlier. Even more impressive than I already said. But, so, for that reason, this is a special place for us because... Because uh, a lot of times we even get to learn about our own ministry when we come here and get to learn about the things you've been able to partner with and accomplish in Kenya over the last 40-some-odd years. So it's pretty special for us, and we're just uh, so thankful for the welcome you always show us and excited to share this morning. We will be doing something a little bit unorthodox, so you'll have to bear with me. I, um, as we were sharing this morning, um, sorry, I grabbed my stuff here. As we were sharing this morning in Sunday school, I felt, uh, I started to feel led to, um, to approach, oh, what's beeping? Is that me or? Okay, perfect. <laughs> oh, sorry. We want to make sure he's breathing, so that's a good sign. Um. <laughs> uh, Always good to, to know everything's working over there. Um, but so, started to feel led to take a little bit of a different approach this morning. So we're going to have a lot of participation. For those of you who know me, you know that that's not uncommon for me. And you're, you're already like, oh great, this guy who likes participation. I'm, you can call me Joel or you can call me your worst nightmare. People go with either and it's okay. Um, but can I get a few volunteers as we jump in to pass out some pieces of paper. As we were sharing this morning, I'll just, just anyone. And just two pieces to each person. That would be great. Thank you so much. Awesome. <laughs> so, our team's, our team's mission is unhindered disciple-making. Okay? Unhindered disciple-making. I'll tell you a little bit about what that means. That means that we 
ultimately, we do a lot of different things. Our, our ministry is holistic. We, we do wells. We do health education. We, we teach youth ministers how to do youth ministry. We do youth conferences. We start micro-businesses that help fund the ministry that's happening in Kenya. But um, ultimately, it all comes down to those are all vessels for bringing the gospel. Those are all vessels for disciple-making. And our ministry is focused on, even though we use all of these different methods, it's focused on uh, helping the church unhinder disciple-making. What uh, tools are necessary to, to help the Kenyan church go from just having participants or having attendees to having people who are sharing the gospel in their day lives? And so... Our disciple-making tools, I often say that they're so easy that a seven-year-old can use them because my seven-year-old does. Um, and so uh, we're going to learn one of them. We're going to learn one of them this morning. But as we were sharing, we were talking about how... So Rachel and I have been in Kenya for seven years, about seven years. And in those seven years, when we first started the disciple-making ministry among our partners there in Kenya... We started with 19 groups, 19 groups. And those 19 groups, became, they went on and they started as we were doing our, our disciple-making together. Those 19 groups started 53 groups. And those 53 groups started 137 groups. You tracking with me? Those, those about 200 groups went on to start over 600 groups. And they, they, as they were entering into these three-year-long discipleship relationships in their groups, those groups made groups that made groups, made disciples who made disciples who made disciples. And when I stood there this morning and I said, uh, seven years ago we started with 19 groups, and today there's over 7,000 groups in Kenya and the surrounding countries, I saw some very surprised faces, like what I'm seeing right now. And I thought, you know what? What we need to do is, is see together how is that possible? How, is it, uh, how in the world is it possible to see 19 groups become 7,000 groups and baptize 12,000 people in seven years? And is it possible to see something like that happen here? And I have to tell you that when I look at the New Testament and I look at the way that the New Testament church moved, I have to say, yes, I believe that it is possible here. There's not just some cultural difference between Kenya and here that makes it more possible for them than it is for us. I believe that it is possible here. Amen. And so um, that's why we have these tools to help unhindered disciple-making, to help remove the obstacles that are stopping us in our time, in our place, and in our communities from being the church. And so this tool, I gave all my pieces of paper away. I need at least one. Where's the stack? There we go. Where's the... Oh. oh, that's all that's left. Wow, there's a lot of you in here. There's more... more. Yeah, someone give him one. So that, okay, good. As long as everyone has at least one. Everyone have two? Awesome. Okay. We ran out. Look at that. Always a good problem to have. So, the tool we're going to learn today is our basic tools. It's called Telling Jesus' Story. 
Okay, our, our passage this morning is Revelation. Revelation, if you want to write it down, you should write it down to reference for later. Our passage this morning is Revelation 12, 10 and 11. Revelation 12, 10 and 11. And what's happening here is we, in Revelation, we have John receiving visions from Jesus. Okay, so, and Jesus is then giving a message to Christians. Right? He's preparing them for what they're going to face if they follow him in the, in the years to come. Okay, they're, he's preparing them for everything that is going to be necessary. But he also gives them a lot of encouragement in Revelation. Okay, a lot, I, I don't know about you guys, have any of you ever heard the phrase, my Bible stops at Jude? Anyone ever heard that? Uh, that's, uh, it's an old saying by pastors that means that most of our people don't read Revelation because they're, they're afraid of it, right? We, they don't know how to interpret it, and so they just avoid it altogether. Which, even if you read it as, as fiction, it's a really cool story. There's dragons in there and witches. You should check it out. I'm not making this up. But <laughs> Revelation 10 uh, 10 and 11 focus on a piece of encouragement from Jesus. A piece of encouragement, and in, a, in one way, it's also a piece of advice. Listen to this. He's talking about the, uh, how the church overcomes the devil. Okay? How the church overcomes um, those, the, uh, the accuser. All right? This is how he's going to call the devil in this. And later on, he, he points out that the accuser is the devil. But it doesn't say that in this verse. So, a little context for us. But it reads this way. It says, Then I heard a loud voice in heaven say, Now have come the salvation and the power of the kingdom of our God. For the accuser of our brothers, who accuses them before our God day and night, has been hurled down. Amen. Read it with me. Has been hurled down. They overcame him, read it with me, by the blood of the Lamb and the word of their testimony. One more time. They overcame him by the blood of the Lamb and the word of their testimony. So Jesus is giving them an encouragement. All right? After just giving them uh, some, some words of woe. Be, be ready, be cautious, because you're going to endure a lot in the coming years. But here's an encouragement. He's telling them, guess what? The accuser is defeated. The accuser is going to be defeated, and you can overcome him. And he tells the church that there's two primary tools to overcoming the accuser. And in, in, in the age that will follow, which I believe we are still in, right? And they are what? The blood of the Lamb, so Jesus, by clinging to Jesus, by following Jesus, by following the example he gave us, okay, and the word of their testimony. That word there, testimony, can actually also be, it's almost interchangeable, but the word used there is witness, okay? Witness. The word of their witness Ultimately, the idea that if we are to overcome Satan, whether in our, our individual lives or in the body and the life of the church as we 
face him and face the struggles and face um, whether it is inconsistency in our belief or whether it is um, attacks from the outside, we will overcome those by the words of our witness. The idea that our story and how Jesus has changed our life is the most valuable, one of the most valuable and powerful tools we have as we be the church in our communities. Are you tracking with me? So we call this tool telling Jesus' story. All right? Telling Jesus' story. And it, again, you'll have to track with me. I'm going to ask for your participation. You're going to help me tell Jesus' story. The, the, in this, trust me, bear with me as we do this, but uh, the method is as important as the message in this case, in the same way it is for Jesus. Not, not just doing what Jesus did, but doing it how Jesus did it. The method is as important as the message, okay? The reason why I'm not just going to lay out Jesus' story for you is because I want to encourage you and show you that you are capable of doing it, all right? And this is how we do it with our people in Kenya as well. But in our groups, 19 groups into 7,000, in our groups, we have different scripture lists different scripture lists for different tools, because we believe that for every job that has to be done, for any of you who just heard in your mind there is an element of fun, you're my kind of people. That comes from Mary Poppins. That may not hit for everyone, but she said, for every job that must be done, there is an element of fun. No, for every job that must be done, there is a set of tools that you need to accomplish that job, right? Carpenters need tools like what? Throw it out. Hammer, saw, nails, what else? Drill. Yeah, and the job can be done without these tools, but it becomes very, very difficult, right? Uh, what about a uh, baker? You need things like, yeah, flour, water, bowl, mixer, things like this. For every job that has to be done, there's a set of tools for that job. All right, And so, disciple-making is the same. Jesus tells us, as his disciples, go make disciples, right? It's, it's a command to make disciples and baptize them and teach them to obey everything he's commanded them. So, to, to make disciples, there's a set of tools we need for that job. And so, for our ministry, we've broken, we've broken the, uh, being a disciple-maker into simple tools that we can use every day. And so, here's, here's one of them. This piece of paper, everyone hold your piece of paper up. And is there a live stream happening right now? Yeah, so if you're on the live stream, grab a normal uh, 8.5 by 11 piece of paper. You can follow along. It's really simple. I will try to make sure that we're showing the folds as we go. But this piece of paper is not just a piece of paper. It's Jesus' story. All right? And this... This story, uh, each movement in this story, will go along with <clears throat> a passage that forms what we call the Telling Jesus' Story Scripture List. Okay, there's several scripture lists. We actually have four different ways to tell Jesus' story that we teach. Um, but this is just one of them that focuses more so on um, Jesus' life and ministry. Okay? So... In the beginning was the 
was the Word, and the Word was God, and the Word was with God. In Him, all things were made, and apart from Him, nothing was made, right? We have John 1. You all know it. I didn't even have to give it to you, right? In the beginning was the Word. Jesus, the person that we follow, was God. And He was with God in the beginning when there was nothing else. Amen. You tracking with me? So this Jesus was not just a normal man, but he also was a man. He came and um, and was born a man to a virgin. Right? Luke two is one of the places where we can read that story of Jesus coming and how Jesus' coming fulfills the promises of the Old Testament. So, but Jesus grows up. And he starts his ministry. And when he starts his ministry, we'll move into the first part of our story. He does a few different things. But we're going to take, if you put your hand at the top right corner there, at the top of the piece of paper, and about three quarters of the way down, and bring those together. And then you're going to fold that. And if you get it, help the people around you who are struggling. Normally... Normally the girls are in here and they walk around and they help me with this and they help people. But try to, it should look something like that. Oh, yeah, you're close. There we go. Yep. So everyone got it? Hold it up. Yeah. Help your partners. It's already showing you you can do it because you're helping them. It's the first time you've seen it, right? All right, all right. So what does this look like? Oh, sailboat, right? It looks like a boat. All right, so help me on this. What are some stories that we know about Jesus and boats? Walking on water. Yes. So, again? Yes, the call of Matthew. Jesus, when he first calls his disciples, he starts his ministry. He starts going and calling his disciples. He finds them by the boats because his Many of his disciples, not all of them, but many of them were fishermen, okay? Uh, and he tells them, come and I will. I will make you fishers of men. So Jesus, this God-man, you know, chose disciples and he told them he's going to make them fishers of men. What else do we, we heard walking on water? Jesus, this God-man who makes fishers of men, had the ability to walk on water. And in fact, when fixed on him, his disciples, or at least one of them, also walked on water, right? And so this is part of Jesus' story. Any other stories about Jesus in boats? The calming of the storm. The disciples and Jesus are sailing across the sea. And these aren't, again, these are fishermen. These aren't normal average everyday Joes. These are people who lived on the lake. Probably were on the lake more than they were on land for most of their lives. And these guys were afraid for their lives. You know that this must have been some storm, right? And Jesus is sleeping in the back. And what happens? Yeah, they're so scared. They wake him up and Jesus does what? He calms the storm with his words. So Jesus has the power over the seas and the weather. Pretty, pretty wild. Anything else about Jesus and boats? 
Yeah, he taught from a boat. Right. And there's, there's other stories about Jesus in boats, but hopefully as we're going, um, you can write down the notes of some of these stories we just had. This is going to compile for you this, this list of scriptures that will allow you to tell Jesus' story. And again, I'm going to point out, I haven't fed these to you. You knew these already. So uh, I believe that you can do this in real time as well. So we had Jesus calling the disciples. That's Matthew 4. We had Jesus calming the storm, also Matthew 4. We had Jesus walking on water. That's Matthew 14. Sorry, I'm, I'm flying through those. It's uh, calling the disciples, Matthew 4. Calming the storm, Matthew 4. Uh, Jesus walking on water, Matthew 14. Teaching from the boat, that's Luke 5. So, this is just a part of the story. We have first this blank page that there's, there's nothing, and without Jesus there was nothing. And in the beginning there was nothing but Jesus and God, and He is God, and He through Him all things were made. We have that He came, born of a virgin, fulfilling the testimony and prophets of old. And then he came and he started a ministry, and these are some of the things he began to do. The third part in our story that we're going to focus on, so if you grab here at the top of your sailboat and over here at the bottom of the sail, and you just bring those together, that's what we're going to do next. And it should look something like this. I know what you're thinking. Is this guy a preacher or a magician? <laughs> so you just bring that down. It should look something like this. Hold it up if you got it. Uh-huh, uh-huh, uh-huh. I like it. Looking good. Clean up that, clean up that one a little bit. Help, help, help him, help him with that. <laughs> the, the folds do matter because it will change the end result. Uh, um, all right, what do we got? A house, right? What are some stories that we know about Jesus in homes or Jesus in houses? Jesus is teaching in a home. It's so crowded that the people can't get in. And so a paralytic man who's been paralyzed his entire life, his friends take him up to the top of the roof, tear a hole in the thatch roof, and lower the man down. And what happens? Jesus heals him. So Jesus is in people's homes. He's teaching in homes, and he's healing people. Another example, another story. Zacchaeus. Jesus is walking along the way through town. It's so crowded that Zacchaeus, this very short man, climbs up in a tree. He climbs up in a sycamore tree to see him. Right? Uh, I'm sorry for any of you who don't get that song. Don't look it up. It's not worth it. But Zacchaeus, right? He's up in a tree and Jesus stops in the middle of where he's going and he says, Zacchaeus, come down, for I'm going to your house today. Zacchaeus would have been con considered a traitor to his own people. 
So not only is Jesus in homes, but he's dwelling with the people that society, his society, has rejected. Okay? He goes to Zacchaeus' home, and we see that Zacchaeus' life changes. Jesus is dwelling with people. He's sharing food with people, and lives are being transformed just by the mere presence of Jesus in their homes. Another? Jesus in homes? Yes, Mary and Martha. Jesus comes and visits Mary and Martha. One is cleaning and running around and serving in that way. The other one is sitting with Jesus, right? Jesus took the time to be in people's homes. So we have the healing of the paralytic. That's Mark 2. We have uh, Zacchaeus. That's Luke 19. Another one of my favorites uh, is when Jesus is in the temple and he flips over the tables and he says, how dare you turn my father's house in, uh, into a den of thieves, right? A den of robbers. Jesus is challenging the religious institutions of the time. He's challenging where we have gone astray. Homes. Jesus in homes. That's Matthew 21, by the way. Jesus flipping over tables. How dare you turn my father's house into a den of thieves. There's lots of stories about Jesus in homes or boats. And feel free to come up with more of those and add those to your list. Hopefully, this is, this is a list that you'll be able to do with your children or with people who are in your lives one at a time over a period of time, and then someday you can show them this fun little trick. But uh, the story continues. Jesus wasn't just on boats or in homes. And we're going to take this and we're going to fold it in half. Take that and just fold it in half. It should look something like that. We got that, we got that, anyone? I'm walking closer so that people on the live stream can see. So we went from, again, we had the sailboat, we brought that down, and it turns into a house, and then we fold that in half, and we got this weird looking thing. What is this? A shoe. First one, this guy, he should be doing my job. Look at that. Yeah, it, it's a shoe or a foot. Look at that. So what do we know about Jesus and feet or shoes? Jesus and feet. Yeah, Jesus walked everywhere with his disciples, right? What else? I hear washed and washing, right? Two different stories, good. So Jesus both washed the disciples' feet and in John, what is that, 13, John 13, Jesus is, is having supper with his disciples. He shows up. He takes his cloak off. He tucks his tunic into his belt, right? He starts to go down to wash his disciples' feet. Peter tries to stop him, and Jesus says, no, because if I don't wash you, you have to part with me. He washes his disciples' feet. Jesus, this, this God-man who can command wind, wind and seas, who can heal people, 
He also serves people. He's realistically and rightfully in a place of honor and deserves to have his feet washed, but instead he sets the example to serve his disciples. Not only that, he goes on to tell them, what I've done for you, now you should go do for others. So if we want to be disciples of Jesus, we have to serve our people. The role of a disciple maker is one of a servant. To put aside to put aside the fact that we recognize that we are priests and kings under Jesus, that we've inherited his kingdom alongside him, we set that aside that we may serve others so that they may also see. Jesus washing the disciples' feet. Very powerful. Jesus' feet are washed. Another story that shows that Jesus is deserves to be treated like a king. A woman, sinful woman comes in. He's dining with disciples and, and uh, teachers of the law, she comes in and breaks the jar at his feet and she weeps and she washes her, his feet with her hair. And Jesus doesn't send her away. He welcomes, he welcomes her sacrifice because Jesus is worthy of that and her service was also welcome. Another story about Jesus and feet. The Jesus' feet being washed uh, is Luke 7, by the way. Luke 7. Another story about Jesus and feet. There are more. Yeah. That, that transitions really well. Jesus' feet were nailed to the cross. Right? Jesus' feet were nailed to the cross. Jesus was, we mentioned earlier, he walked everywhere. Oftentimes, he was walking when the next case came up, right? Maybe it was the bleeding woman. He's on his way to go somewhere, and she touches his cloak, and he makes the point to stop what he was doing and be there with her in that moment and encourage her faith, right? Jesus walked everywhere, and that was, as he went, was when he encountered the people that he needed to meet. So, Jesus' feet were nailed. Let's go ahead and we're going to turn the foot on its toe there. And then we're just going to fold that in half. Line that edge up nice and neat. We'll fold that in half. Should look like that when all is said and done. Yep. Keep looking at your neighbors there. Make sure they, they've got it good. <laughs> you, you got it. You got it. Let's hold it up once you got it. What does this look like? Yeah, the nail, right? What do we know about Jesus and nails? Jesus was a carpenter, son of a carpenter, right? Uh, Mark 6. We know that this tool was a tool he used to, to create over his 30-some-odd years, over the course of time that he lived here among us. Jesus knew nails well. He was nailed to the cross. Matthew 27, you already mentioned that one. And while he was nailed on the cross, he said some things. What are some of the things that he said from the cross? 
Yeah, Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they're doing. Jesus, in great pain and anguish, still fulfills, fulfills His call to bring us into forgiveness with the Father through His sacrifice. Father, forgive them. That's Luke 23, by the way. Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they're doing. Something else He says on the cross? I missed one. Someone shouted something. Yeah. Why have you forsaken me? My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Jesus is referencing a psalm, Psalm 22. And you can go and read that later. Um, where David writes the psalm saying the same line, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And then the imagery that carries out in that psalm portrays Christ on the cross. The, the promises of Christ on the cross. I encourage you to go and read that later. One more thing. Today you will be with me in paradise to the, the man who's being crucified next to him. And he also says, it is finished. Amen. John 19.30. Jesus' work was finished. He had done what he was sent here to do. It is finished. And we know that when Jesus gave up his spirit and he died on the cross, that some, there's a few things that happened after that. What were some of the things that happened? Yeah, the world went dark. What else? There was a great earthquake. Stones split. What? Yes, the curtain in the temple was torn. This curtain was nine inches thick. This is what we know from history. This, this curtain was nine inches thick. Imagine that. Torn from top to bottom. This curtain was the curtain that hung in the Holy of Holies. And while that doesn't mean all that much to us, the, the imagery that's happening here for the Jewish people is amazing. And it, it bears for us today. This curtain was torn. This curtain was intended to separate God's, God's presence from people. Because God was a holy God, and He could not be in our presence because of our sin. And so when Jesus died on the cross and says it is finished and says, Father, forgive them, this curtain tearing was showing that no longer is God's presence separated from, God, from man, but He now dwells with us because we have forgiveness in Christ. The curtain is torn. We no longer need priests to go and pray to God for us, but we have a direct relationship. We're not separated anymore. So the curtain, we're, what I want you to do, we're going to tear this right down the middle. It will help. You might fold it in half just to get a line there to follow. Don't leave it folded, but fold it in half just to get a, a line to follow there. And if you need help uh, tearing it, we will help you. But we're going to tear that right down the middle, like the curtain was torn. Alright, keep those pieces. Keep those pieces. We do have some trash cans we'll use when we get done here. So, hold your two pieces up. It should look something like this. Curtain's been torn. Yeah. Does anyone need help tearing their curtain? This, this curtain's not nine inches thick, 
but it's so hard to tear. Um, so you can imagine how hard it was to tear the nine-inch curtain. How we doing? We there? This looks good. You guys are doing great. Most of my seven-year-olds never get it on the first time. I want you to, I, I want you to keep the long piece. You hold them up. Keep the long piece. So Jesus's work was done. The image of the curtain proved that. We were no longer separated. But our work was not done yet. So go ahead and open that once you get it all torn. Open it slowly, slowly. Yep, keep opening it all the way. The long piece there. It's my favorite. This moment. Yep, keep opening it, keep opening it. Right? It was finished on the cross. His work was done, but our work was not, right? His disciples still... <laughs> you can clap for that. That's pretty cool, right? Yeah. His work was done, but ours wasn't, right? He said he gave us some commands. Go make disciples one, being one of them. But there was one where he said, if you want to follow me, do what? Pick up your cross and follow me. That's Matthew 16. The debt has been paid. First Peter 2, right? That our debt had been paid, but now we've been left to carry on the ministry that he began. The things that he did. Traveling around. Meeting people. Being with people in their homes. Feeding the hungry. Healing the sick. Tearing down religious institutions that are sending the wrong message to people. Jesus' ministry set an example for us. And in 2 Corinthians 5, 2 Corinthians 5, turn there with me, Paul lays this out pretty clearly. The expectation for the church. It's belief, certainly, but it is also to continue the ministry that Jesus began. Paul's image of this story, his, his imagery of this story is beautiful. Listen to this. Paul in uh, 2 Corinthians 5, let's start in 14, says, For Christ's love compels us, because we are convicted that one died for all, and therefore all have died. And he died for all, that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for the one who died for them and was raised again. So from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Though we once regarded Christ this way, we do so no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old is gone. The new has come. All this is, is from God, who reconciled us to himself through Jesus. And here it comes. Gave us the ministry of reconciliation gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting men's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though we were he were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf. 
have be reconciled to God. God made him who was no sin to be sin for us so that we might become the righteousness of God. Telling Jesus' story. It's one tool. Just one tool for the toolkit. What we do with this is uh, our disciple makers have these scripture lists. In some cases, they're illiterate. In some cases, they can't read, but they can tell these stories. And so uh, they are trained to tell the stories without leaving anything out or adding anything. And they're able to go and study these stories in groups. And then those groups group members go and tell these stories. They go through these stories one by one, slowly over many weeks, one by one, until they've learned Jesus' story, and then we teach them this tool. Cool little fun tool. But it's, it's just an image of weeks of having God's message and Jesus' story written on our hearts and allowing it to impact the way we interact with the world around us as we begin to both understand Jesus' stories and obey them and carry them out in our everyday lives. So, I encourage you to go tell Jesus' story. The reason why I wanted to have everyone have at least two pieces, you could take one to go tell this story to someone uh, that you know, your family, your friends. But this is this is how 19 groups become 7,000. This is how it happens. is giving tools to the disciple makers. For those who have been called to make disciples, we need tools for our job. And this is just one of the ones we use. So I hope that, um, that this gave you a little bit of a peek into our ministry and what God's doing and how he is um, using the blood of the Lamb, and the word of our testimony to overcome the evil one and reconcile people to him all over the world. And I thank you for being a part of that. As the worship... Thank you. As the worship team comes up to close us, I'll pray. Father God, we love you because you loved us first. Lord, we're so thankful for your story, for Jesus' story that has changed our lives. I pray that this, this story will be fodder and be an encouragement for, <clears throat> for us to tell your story as we go. God, I, I pray that the seeds that have been planted today will, will grow and that people will be encouraged to tell your stories uh, to the people around them. That they will be uh, built up and will be energized and uh, be encouraged and, and recognize that it is, it is so easy that they can do it. And not only that, that you've called us to do it, to be your reconcilers. Father God, I pray that as we go, we'll be your light in this world. It's in your powerful and blessed name we pray. Amen.